0: In my book, The Hidden Wilderness, I dropped a line regarding Tarsus, doubling as a new Atlantis of sorts, without further developing the claim. I furthermore stated that the likely location of Tarsus was either northern Africa or Spain, in the whereabouts of Gibraltar. So, recall your Sunday school lessons. That's the city which the prophet Yonah attempted passage towards, having refused an eastward journey to Nineveh as Yahuwaha had commanded him. He was met by a very large fish and then died, only to be resurrected upon the shoreline. Some have since attempted to convince me that Tarsus was on the eastern coast of Africa, maybe even India, which could very well be the case. Well then, that means he would have boarded ship in the Red Sea and rounded the corner into the Arabian Sea at Yemen. It didn't happen like that though. Yonah derived from the tribe of Zebulun, in Yasharel's northern kingdom. The, the port at Jopa would have been a hop and a skip away, if a quick and sudden escape is what he was after. And in fact, that's what Yoda 1 2 states that he set out for Tarshish from Yafo, which Yafo is Jopa, sailing past the Straits of Gibraltar, around the Western Sahara, all the way down to South Africa, and then back up past Madagascar in the direction of India or wherever seems like a very improbable route when the more likely answer is that Tarshish was in the whereabouts of Spain or Northern Africa, though I could also see Western Africa being a contender. Again, though, I'm not throwing out the Far East as a potential. I just want to look at the evidence for Spain or Western Africa. But then here is where they are pulling their information from. And all the drinking vessels of King Shaloma were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was not anything accounted of in the days of Shaloma. For the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Cheram. Every three years once came the ships of Tarshish, bringing gold and silver ivory, and apes, and peacocks. And King Shaloma passed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. 1 Kings 10, 21-23, and 2 Chronicles 9, 20-22. Well, I'll be. The passages in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles are identical, albeit the chapter and verse has slightly different numbers. King Shaloma only received Tarshish imports once every three years, whenever the ships got around to completing their round-trip journey. That's quite the distance, supposing that nautical mileage is being accounted for by the years. We are told the ancients were capable of sailing 100 nautical miles per day. An Atlantic journey from Europe to the Americas takes only three to four weeks, if the weather is good. And Columbus, Christopher Columbus, according to history, sigh I know, accomplished his journey within two months and nine days. So, three years, eh? Either Tarshish happens to be a city in the greater realm, and Yona was journeying with the elves of Middle-earth beyond Globe-Earth's curvature to the Undying Lands, taking the high and straight road, or something else is going on. There is another clue as to the whereabouts of Tarshish in that apes and peacocks were included in the baggage. As far as my knowledge goes, there are only two recognized peacock species. The blue peacock lives in India, while the green peacock is found in Burma. There is, however, another rarer species of peacock, the Congo peacock. But then throw the apes into the equation. What kind of apes are we talking about here? There are gibbons in Southeast Asia, as well as orangutans on the islands of Borneo and Sumatra, not forgetting the chimpanzees as well as the gorillas of western and central Africa. Well darn, Tarshish could be either location, couldn't it? I'm still holding out for Spain as a potential location. And of course, I stress potential. I wasn't there and wouldn't really know. The assumption in all of this is that Tarshish doubled as a prototype Atlantis, a new Atlantis. That will seem like a stretch for many, though I'm certainly not the only one holding hope, as even the normies have been making the connection. The original Atlantis, as you have been made aware by now, if you've been following my recent series, may have indeed been located on the lost continent of Lemuria Mu, aka the land of Eden, as per the moon map, making Cain's city of Enoch in the land of Nod our top suspect. Though for the record, I am also well aware that Lemuria and Atlantis may be two completely different entities of old. We'll keep that in mind. Moving forward, I will attempt to examine the various pieces of the puzzle to see what, if any, fits. Come on, you know something will click. In order to do so, I'm thinking we need to go back to the known origin of the Atlantis mythos. And that, my friends, is Agent Aristocles, a.k.a. Plato. Somewhere in the whereabouts of 360 B.C., according to the official narrative, Plato wrote two of his later Socratic dialogues. Timaeus and Critias, both of which set forth the story of Atlantis. I will ask you to keep the prophet Yonah as well as King Shaloma in your peripheral vision as they inhabited the 8th century and 10th century BC respectively. They predated Plato by several centuries and there are references to Tarshish to be found in both biographies. Well, in Timaeus, the character Critias explains that he got the story regarding Atlantis from his grandfather, who got it from his father, who got it from the politician Salon, who in turn received the information from an Egyptian priest, Sanchez of Sais. Oh dear, that's quite the game of phone tag right there, spread out over several generations, all misdirection, when in fact Agent Plato was initiated in bed with the elitist, as was Socrates before him. Yeah, that whole drink the cup of poison hemlock episode was one big fat hoax. It was his task, really it was their task, to reveal secrets, Hellenizing everyone, but I digress. At the receiving end of Plato's phone tag, Critias claimed that a great and mighty Atlantean empire existed beyond the pillars of Heracles some 9,000 years earlier, and those years should be noted it is indeed possible that Atlantis was a civilization existing before the Genesis Reset, the recreation event in Genesis chapter 1. That very well may be true. I don't want to assume either way. It may very well have been a city that existed before the Deluge as well. That being said, Atlantis was said to be larger than Libya and Asia combined, which appears to be a reference to northern Africa and half of modern Turkey, or so they say. After war broke out between Atlantis and the Athenians, and I'm paraphrasing, an earthquake devastated Atlantis, sinking it below the ocean in a single night. Take a mental note of the Athenians, or put a bookmark there or whatever. We don't find out more information on Atlantis until Plato's next cinematic multiverse entry, Critias. In that one, the Pantheon of Elohim, those would be the gods, divided up the earth, just as it happened among the Council of the Seventy in Deuteronomy 32.8. If you recall, Yahuwah, the son of Allah Hayam, received Yasherel as his inheritance. And so it only makes sense that other Elohim would receive their land inheritance. Well, Poseidon received Atlantis. I have more to say on Poseidon's part in the narrative, specifically in his potential relation to Cain and his eldest son Enoch. If Adam was a representative of Yahuwah, then Cain could very well have been for Poseidon. Though discussions like that one will have to be saved for another hour. Poseidon's intent was to have his children rule as a confederacy of kings, with his eldest, Atlas, serving as head king. Makes sense. Atlas is literally in the word Atlantis. The name means island of Atlas. That's a rather interesting side note since, according to the Greek poet Hesiod, Atlas stood at the ends of the earth in the west. It was a flat earth, you know. The resulting city of Atlantis was circular, managing about 15 miles in diameter. The palaces and temples of the city were adorned with gold, silver, brass, and ivory. In the center of the city was a citadel, also circular. About three miles in diameter, Actually, the entire city was a series of rings comprised of land and interlocked canals, all of which were connected with bridges by which larger ships might navigate to the sea. The city, furthermore, hosted a well-irrigated rectangular plain which met up with the coast, running about 240 miles. What happened is, the Confederacy of Kings met every fifth or sixth year to sacrifice a bowl and discuss matters of state. But then, in time, no surprise, The Atlanteans suffered a moral decline. Zeus decided something needed to be done about it. He called the Pantheon together to court, and the rest is history, supposedly. I probably don't have to tell anyone that the Eye of the Sahara is suspect number one in the Atlantis sleuth game. Astonishingly, it contains the same symmetrical rings as Plato described. The defining difference between the two is that the Eye of the Sahara sits in West Africa rather than Gibraltar, and is 24 miles in diameter rather than 15, which is pretty darn close if you ask me, as a circumference goes, and far grander of a capital city than what the game of phone tag ultimately allowed. Also of note is the great wealth of Akulian artifacts which the site has offered. That's a hoity-toity scholarly way of describing the manufacturing of stone tools characterized by the distinctive oval and pear-shaped hand axes associated with Homo erectus, not forgetting their contemporaries, an extinct species of archaic human known as Homo heidelbergensis. When viewed from Google Maps, the Eye of the Sahara takes on a rather provocative narrative. Do you see what I see? Even if I tell you what it is now, I will still receive letters of frustration from among those who have strained their eyes turning this picture in every which direction and still can't see it. Well, I'll give you a moment to look it over anyways. In the meantime, fun to know facts, the eye sits 310 miles from the ocean rather than Plato's nine kilometers or 5.6 miles. That's nothing though when compared to the Grand Canal in China, which is reckoned to extend for 1,104 miles. If this is indeed the original Atlantis site, then a 310-mile highway of water should have been easily managed, especially if it served irrigation purposes as well as a grand avenue for the cities of its kingdom. And now for the I-Spy game that I've mentally been preparing you for. It looks to me as if a massive flood pummeled the Sahara. Still not seeing it? Look to the long wavy line sweeping across the center of the image. That's what, <laughs> that's what we Bible scholars would call a local flood, which is another way of saying a post-deluge event. Nope, not Noah's flood. For whatever reason, the Pantheon of Elihim decided what Western Africa needed was another judgment event. Then again, there is no reason to automatically conclude that the Sahara flood is responsible for destroying the Atlantean city. I mean, why assume? The Atlantean city could have been destroyed thousands of years before the flood swept across northern Africa. Again, remember how old Atlantis was supposed to be, something like 11,000 years. I wouldn't really know as I wasn't there. The Sahara flood looks suspicious though. I'm still holding out to the remote possibility that the eye of the Sahara was in the very least Atlantean in a confederacy of Atlantean cities. Yes, I think there were more of them. The other far more likely contender for Tarsus, as well as the inspiration for Plato's prototype Atlantean capital, is the mystical city of Tartessos, a semi-harbor port on the south side of Spain. Wiki has a page devoted to this one, and they lobby the grenade in the first paragraph, as they so often do. They drop the Phoenician word into the dojo, and then get up to leave without a fight. Yep, Yasharel had a colony there. There is your Shaloma connection. The city can be traced to multiple Greek and Near East sources throughout the first millennium BC as we have already seen with Yona and Shaloma. For example the fourth century BC historian Ephorus describes and I quote, a very prosperous market called Tartessos, with much tin carried by river as well as gold and copper from Celtic islands. Unquote. Right there that is important in connecting the copper trade of Britain and the Celts with the Phoenicians. And who were the Druids again but the descendants of Yasharel, having come out of Egypt? I'm actually wondering if they're connected with the priest of Midian. In other news, their prophet Yermiyahu, that would be Jeremiah, brought the Yehudan princess T. Tepi to Spain to marry a Yehudan prince before setting up their kingdom in Ireland. Tarshish is almost undoubtedly where it all went down. Another deep well of information which we all need to tap into from time to time is Herodotus. I quote from him every so often and once again here he doesn't disappoint. The story goes as follows. While on a voyage to Egypt, the Greek merchant, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Kaleos, well Kaleos was blown off course by a naughty storm only to find himself driven into the Atlantic through the Gibraltar Strait, past the Pillars of Hercules. He landed at Tartessus in southwestern Spain, where he obtained a cargo of precious metal. Why does Tartessus sound so much like Tartaria? According to Herodotus, Calleus claimed to be the first trader to find Tartessus. I don't buy that, but whatever. How that is even remotely possible, considering Tartessus was a wealthy and exotic port town, just around the bend from the Pillars of Hercules, can only be attributed to Brigadoon's sister city. I'm not being facetious this time around either. If you want to know why the Tarsus ships only came around once every three years, there you go. But really, the far more likely antidote is an all too familiar one. Herodotus was born in 484, and died around 413. Well, Plato wasn't born until 428, five centuries removed from Shaloma and Jonah. The idea is that Tarshish had already been destroyed by the time the Greek historians and philosophers got around to talking about it. That leaves us with the age-old game led by the elites already attempting to scrub its place in his story. And I won't leave you hanging either, you'll, you'll see why. All things considered, Plato's phone tag story is indeed a ridiculous one. But then, getting back to the story of Herodotus, he claims the Phocians, not to be confused with the Phoenicians, discovered Tartissos in the whereabouts of 550 BC, and that Calais, that was the Greek merchant who went adrift, was met by the Tartissian king Argathonius. The Phocians were a Greek people, and again, not to be confused with the Phoenicians, but take a mental note of them anyways. Argathonius, king of Tartessos, was killed at the Battle of Alalia in 545 BC. And that is that. The city apparently fell into ruin and faded from his story. Quick review. Plato stated that Atlantis was situated in the Atlantic, beyond and in front of the Pillars of Heracles. It was measured 9 kilometers from the sea situated within a large rectangular plane that met a southern coast. Each of these descriptions, by the way, have been identified with Donana National Park in Spain. And in fact, Plato's Atlantis may have even been discovered. In 2011, a team of U.S.-led researchers were able to analyze imagery of the suspected submerged city. Their conclusion is that a tsunami journeyed 60 miles inland destroying everything in its path. That would be another post-deluge event. The multi-ring city is believed to have been pinpointed in the marshland. Additional evidence was discovered in the surrounding area. Apparently, residents who did not die in the tsunami but fled inland built what the research team called memorial cities, circular cities, harkening back to the capital which had been buried in the mudflats. If you need this spilled out for you, Tartessos Tarshish is the most obvious model for Plato's description of the capital city of Atlantis. And understand what I'm saying here. I'm not suggesting it was the original Atlantis. Plato may have in fact been tapping into a much older tale, taking us back to western Africa or maybe even Lemuria, you know, the land of Eden, the city of Enoch. Tarshish was, as I mentioned earlier, a new Atlantis. I mean, that seems evident in the fact that we see the Ring City in Spain and Western Africa. One appears to be a copy of the other. If so, then Plato's story would have served as a composite image, blending the ancient civilization with its younger counterpart. That brings even more credibility to the Sahara Desert location as yet another confederacy member, though I still haven't forgotten about Enoch, the city which Cain built. It was built under the same guise as Nimrod's tower. I know I'm dumping a lot at you guys right now, but in both instances, the intent of Cain and his child Enoch, as well as Nimrod, much later down the line, was to invade and ultimately destroy the heavenly city of Enoch. Recall what I told you regarding the fall of Plato's Atlantis and also the demise of Tarsus Tartasos, according to the Greek historian. The two cities conveniently in the same location, were destroyed by the ocean, though it happened during a war with the Greeks, or so we're told. I asked you to make a mental note of the Greeks in both instances. Remember, according to Plato, it was the Athenians that destroyed Atlantis. Well, it wasn't the Greeks whom the Tartessians went to war with, according to the Bible. And we might even want to throw the Atlanteans into that. In fact, I would want to throw the Atlanteans into that. No, the end of Tarshish can be found in Psalm 48. I've already written an entire chapter on that passage, but the presidential election cycles is ample proof that we have short-term memories, and so repeating it verbatim is a good habit to fall into. Here we go. Great is Yahuwah, our established leader. Praise him, and with a clear, brilliant sound, Halal, praise him, in the city of Alahayat Nua the established holy mountain. Behold, how beautifully situated, rising upwards, like a tuneful voice, the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion, in the most remote regions, northward, city of the chief head, most powerful Malak, king. Alahayam, son and heir, go to that lofty fortress, citadel of steadfastness, place of gathering, There, intimately know and perceive the established path of life, the rock of refuge. Behold, for all the kings continually, for as far as one can see or perceive, to the edge of the horizon and beyond, from ancient times, they assembled themselves, passing over across the sea. Behold the clamor, as they saw the powerful chief, the established strength, they were astonished confused. They trembled, perishing suddenly, as they made haste to flee. Behold and see their evil condition. Sadness, trembling, devouring chaos, has seized them, the grip of sudden pain like that of a woman bringing forth. On the pathway to the sea, as a sign in the Ruach, you destroyed the fleet of ships of Tarshish. Psalm 48, 3-7. Tarshish was represented by a confederacy of kings, just like the Atlantis story. Its fleet of ships crossed the ocean to make war. But it was against the city and mountain of Zion in the uttermost regions of the north. That's not speaking about the state of Israel. And against Yehusha, its Mechilzedek king, no less. The city is New Yerushalayim. Though its other name, if you recall, is the city of Enoch. The mountain is located in the Hidden Wilderness in the Blessed Realm. The antagonists are the blue blooded children of Cain. And I'll go ahead and say it. I don't care if I get hate mail for this. New Atlantis. I don't know if you're seeing this, but I do. And it's all there. In true checkerboard dualistic fashion, the unclean city of Enoch made war against the righteous city of Enoch and lost. Perhaps that is why It's his story was scrubbed.